And welcome to another fantastic episode of Shift Happens. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the irregular hosts. <laughs> and I'm Anna. And I'm not going to say whether <laughs> I am or not. And I'm very regular. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Every morning at 6 o'clock. <laughs> too much information, Tesh. Way too much information. But I guess I started it. So we're going to have another interesting interview, I suspect, with Gary Tacon. That's how you pronounce it, right? Tacon. Tacon, anyway. So he's the personal trainer and yogi to... Alec Baldwin and his brother, Steve. Right. And others and, along the way, of course, but that's what he's been doing lately. And he was lately. on our show about three weeks ago. Yes. And we had a wonderful talk, and uh, he called up today, and I says, do you want to come on and say hello today? Yeah. So he can't come to the phone until 20 after. And as we said in the first half, he had a very interesting experience. He just got back from... Calcutta. Calcutta. So... He cannot come on for another 15, 20 minutes. So what we thought is we get the music portion out of the way and play some tunage that's kind of compatible with the whole thing. And everyone out there who's been listening to our show knows that I'm an extreme fan of the Tea Party. And I introduced Tesh to this band actually last year, and he loves them too. So anyway, we're going to play a few tunes, and then it'll be one big block of of uh, spoken word for about 40 minutes, I would say. So anyway, we're going to start out with Sam Sarah by the Tea Party and then the Halcyon Days, and then we'll be back. Man, I love that song. I love that song. That is The Feeling Begins by Peter Gabriel. And so I believe we have Gary online right now. Test, test. Hey, Gary. Earth to Gary, Earth to Gary. Come in, Gary. Hi, guys. How are you? <laughs> Doing fine. We've got you. So Gary is in New York right now, correct? That's correct. I guess I'm not going to talk about you in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> and you're driving along the highway in New York. That's correct. Yes, well, welcome home, brother. Thank you so much. And uh, you've been on travels. We've both been doing a lot of traveling. You just got back from Calcutta. That's right. Wow, that sounds like you briefly described it to me, but that sounds like quite a journey. What's the movie you, you were working on? It's a true story called The Journalist. It's a um, Indian film company production, and it's about uh, a, a man named Graham Staines, who was a, a Christian missionary from uh, Australia, from Western Australia, who heard about the mistreatment of leprosy uh, patients in India. And he felt it as a calling in his heart, and he picked up and he he went to to this particular leprosy home uh, right at the absolute edge of civilization against the the Similatal Tiger Reserve. <laughs> That's a wild city. place to put them. It, the a, them, a, the a, them of it all, the lepers. It's wild to. Uh, uh, be there at the reserve and no, I mean, just how to, oh, I've got my earphones. 
<laughs> so yeah, um, it, how big is this reserve for the lepers? It's probably about the size of, uh, twice the size of Yellowstone National Park in the, in the states just below where you guys are. And is it all wired off or something so that the it's, tigers it's are on not, one side and the lepers are on the other? It's not wired off. It's just that the jungle is so dense. They, um, they never um, made it possible for human habitation to penetrate it. Yes. And yes. Um, this particular leprosy home was uh, established in 1902 by the Maharaj of that particular region only after his daughter uh, insisted that he go ahead and try and do something for the leper. And there's a plaque there on on the face of the gate that says, um, for my daughter, toward uh, the relief of common human suffering. And that was in 1902 at the edge of civilization. So you can imagine what those conditions were like. When we got there, it, it seemed already like it was still 1902. Yes. Deep deep, deep in the jungle uh, with uh, only one dirt road that led from the nearest town called Badipada four and a half hours of four-wheel drive trekking southwest of Calcutta. So that journey alone, I mean, we, we made lots of jokes about, ah, the road to Calcutta because the villages that have been there for hundreds of years and this road that we were on, it would be 10 miles of extremely uh, uh, pothole-ridden roads that seemed to take hours and then a four-mile stretch of paved highway. And to think that hundreds of years ago there was nothing but a mud path where these very same villages still were, where their ancestors lived, doing the same thing carving the same wood, making the same straw baskets and furniture out of uh, mahogany and, and straw. It was um, <laughs> just one of those things in one's world travel that penetrates way beyond into, into depths that we didn't even realize we had. What might you describe was the biggest impact? Was it in the leopard colony? It was. Um, the... The people that are there, some have been there for 60 and 70 years. And they've had children and grandchildren, and so the community has grown. So to be there with them and to feel their their crumpled self of um, incompetence, their body had failed them, there was never any explanation for what leprosy was. Uh, Biblically, it was a curse from the devil. And... um, the fact that this particular gentleman went there in 1959 and raised them up and formed a bit of a beacon of light toward healing for these people was uh, was an extraordinary uh, lift for their spirits. And then well, it's a, quite a complicated story. The Indian government didn't take too kindly to their suspicion that he was converting these uh, lepers into Christians, which he really wasn't doing. It's just that his open heart made them feel like 
they wanted to stay around him even after they were on their way to their own forms of safe self-maintenance under his guidance. So they stuck around. And they even tried to prosecute him, but he was proven innocent uh, through various witnesses and particularly the the articles of this journalist. In fact, the name of the film is called The Journalist. It's told from the point of view of this um, Indian journalist who came from um, Mumbai to all the way across the country to investigate what was the problem with this guy because the government was really rabble-rousing and making him a victim of his own kind. And a very long story short, um, from 59 to 97, he succeeded in establishing this place as a uh, almost a, a, a refugee camp for these um, poor downtrodden lepers. And eventually, a radical faction from the Indian government came at night and killed him. And his two sons, seven and 11 years old, burned the jeep that they were sleeping in, which they did regularly to make beds available for the lepers in that colony. And this became um, very harsh global news because he was already heralded as a hero. And this and is the Indian nature of the Indian book? Indian government tucked, tucked their tail between their legs and nobody was ever found guilty. And to this day, we had to be quite secretive about um, the theme that we were actually trying to uh, convey during this by calling it the journalist rather than the uh, you know the murder of Graham Staines. Who plays the journalist? Uh, the journalist is played by a uh, a Bollywood, um, a, a very well known uh, Bollywood actor whose name at the moment slips my mind. Um, well, that's. It's terrible. We've spent a lot of time with him on three different trips making this picture. But Stephen Baldwin is is the uh, American actor who played Graham Staines, yes. which was the reason I was there, because I, I, I care for him when we go on these long trips. Stretch him out. He's a yoga enthusiast. And uh, yeah. I think I may have spoken about him in our in our last session of radio. Yes. That was a very popular show, by the way. We had many downloads of that particular interview, so that's why we had you back. It was was wonderful, and (laughs) and I I look forward to coming back even more and speaking more about these these very same practices that we all um, feel passionately about. And Tesh was saying that you're actually considering moving to the Kootenays. Is that true? Well, you know, my son lives in um, in the Columbia River Gorge, which is also nearly directly below you, right. um, on, uh, on the Columbia River between the state of Washington and Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, about, he's about um, 100 miles inland, which, which, you know, we broke out the maps when I was there building a chicken coop just a couple of months ago, and it's about a five-and-a-half-hour drive almost um, due south of Tesh's property. Okay. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I have loved for 25 years the idea of nestling up on Tesh's property on the lake. You know? <laughs> I mean, is, is, is there a place on the planet more serene and beautiful than that? I don't know. I don't. Think That's why we live here. 
copy that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you witnessed some deep jungle and some uh you said some incredible stillness on your journey i'm sorry can you say that once again please you witnessed some very deep jungle like you were surrounded you said that you were in the middle of absolutely nowhere and you felt this what immersion of stillness like for six or seven days while you were there filming you know it we, we were there for nine days we shot for about six days but the other days we just went and hung out with uh, with um, the members of, of the leprosy home. Um, what we were describing in our last uh, radio visit, I was able to gather these people who, as I said, some of them were octogenarians, get them all on their feet and begin to experience with a translator right next to me. This, the, the joy of recreating your stature by rotating their knobby, nubby hands and mm. balancing barely on their feet and raising their, uh, their bones of their face to the sky, opening their throats and breathing. And I can't tell you there was not a dry eye in the house. There were 36 of them at one point, three generations, uh, all following along my description of this most common practice. Oh, Gary, that is beautiful. You know, and and the fact that I was conducting it myself, there was nobody to photograph it, but um, the wonderful thing that has grown out of this experience is uh, an impulse to go back and do a documentary about this place in the jungle that's so far remote from any other uh, contemporary civilization and to still once again feel the radiance and the light in the eyes of these people who have nothing, nothing in terms of what we understand in in the Western world as creature comforts. And the most wonderful impression was uh, an assault upon my uh, humility and shame. As I said to you earlier, Tesh, how, how... Incredible it is that almost everybody I know is so consumed with the discomforts <laughs> of, of, of their particular circumstance of life here in the West. Mm-hmm. And uh, all it takes is one little, uh, one little trek through uh, the Simulapau Tiger Reserve to rinse that of your nature forever. Mm-hmm. So, well, so get the I buses feel, ready. <laughs> I feel blessed. I feel blessed that, that I've had this opportunity. And the other thing that's so crazy that I'd love to share with your listeners is that every single human being, it, it appears to me, has forces at work just wishing for everybody's, um, just, just, just simple pursuit of their heart's desire. And, and we all share a, a common desire in the heart to live peacefully and lovingly toward I mean please correct me if I'm wrong toward toward it toward an elegant longevity where where regrets are kept at an absolute minimum because we were able to understand there was guidance there was help and we welcomed it into our lives and it, it got a hold of our spirit and lifted it and refused to relinquish that gentle caress 
that we allow once we face up, literally, to the music of the heavenly sphere and feel the joy of a buoyant vessel come through our heels, through our ankles and knees and pelvis, fill the heart place with buoyancy and poise. I mean... I don't think I'm crazy. This is my experience. <laughs> Am I crazy, Tash? Am I crazy? Because <laughs> <laughs> we are on the same ship. When yeah. you share it with, with, with a group of, of people who have been humbled by the curse of something like leprosy. Yes. With, with no knowledge of, of where it came from. Yes. With, with no uh, explanation of why it happens to them. And to live for decades, shrouded with this with this um, this condition of being at war with your body. Yet there's, you say, like there's a human dignity that shines out of their eyes. You can't believe it. You yeah. can't believe their smile when yes. when you when you touch them. Their their whole body. It's like it's like a uh, intravenous. <laughs> to their heart place or, or to the infant that still remains in them who just craves to be comforted by the, the, the warmth of its mother. You know, I mean, I, as I say, I don't, I, I don't think I romanticize this at all. It's, it's a direct perception of what I experienced. So many yeah. have been talking about this kind of shift that we await a new world order where love and compassion and healing and creativity and freedom and non-judgment and forgiveness are the way. And that's become what's natural, not what we find so natural in this day right now with polarity and war and judgment. And as you say, you just need to go to some quieter places, both inside and to see other places on the planet where Beauty shines from a whole different system. Well, since our last, since our last visit, um, this what you just said remains so resonant. It has helped me so much just in my daily practice to um, to try and bring this condition of peace and lovingness and emanate what our own individual experience is of being and what it means to be a human being uh, it's, it's, it's not a play on words it's just about retreating a little bit back into the vessel where it already knows and understands what's both necessary and satisfying regarding its own obligation yes it's to, not it's to not to riddled. the body it's not riddled by dogma. Like the body, the heart knows its way home by heart if you give it a chance. If you quiet down and settle into the inner spaces. Speaking exactly, from... Exactly, and retreat, retreat, retreat mm-hmm. from the, the attraction of, of media and the devices. If only just to tune the vessel. Mm-hmm. Once the vessel is tuned uh, as part of the morning ablution, the simplest um, series of movements, five minutes, maximum seven minutes, and begin the day with uh, a a tuned vessel that is free of uh, habitual muscular tension, what a wonderful way to welcome the day. 
then you can go ahead and pick up the device and see who was trying to contact you in the middle of the night while you were sleeping. <laughs> but at, at least the vessel is already anchored in something that we have taken responsibility for creating in terms of an interior atmosphere that can then greet the world and, and all of the static that is, is waiting to infiltrate our vessel. The thing that I enjoyed about our last discussion was how simple you made it. So often, and I think we talked about this, where there's, there's this philosophy where it has to be complicated. Garlic clothes between the toes, laying out naked in the rain. You know what I mean? For two yes, hours. Absolutely. Whereas to do it only for five minutes, and that anyone can do, right? And simply following through on a small commitment like that can carry you throughout the day. And as you said, it empowers you, it makes you feel better, it makes you feel more alive, and then you're prepared for more excitement and more opportunity throughout the day. Would you agree with that? It's, 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 a, wonderful, um, it's a wonderful perception you've, you've solidified from our first discussion. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing that's so wonderful about the simplicity of this is, first of all, there is nothing theoretical or philosophical about it. And secondly, the first five minutes that you try it, it's cumulative. So the next day, when you do five more minutes, well, that's already ten minutes of attention to the interior. Mm-hmm. That is, um, more than anything else, the most reliable, self-informing thing that can occur to any human being. First of all, because it's obligatory. Secondly, it provides a sensation of upliftedness and um, a sense of being unified as a whole, like nothing else can. There's no granola in the world. <laughs> that, that can be, you haven't uh, tried the new flax version. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. But, you know, let's, let's, let's tune the vessel first and then ask the vessel what it really wants. It's almost it, like it, it may not. It may not. It may be energized enough not to want anything until eleven or twelve o'clock, and at that point, maybe you know a nice ripe piece of papaya, and and before you know it, the entire vessel is being nurtured from an impulse of the mind and body being coordinated, which has arisen out of the simple practice of recreating your stature, tuning the vessel in an obligatory way that is so simple it goes hand-in-hand with the morning ablution. You've just uh, written a book, Gary, or you are writing one. I'm in in the process of trying to put everything we're speaking about into the simplest terms, Um, and it's, it's, it's simply called a common practice, the art of recreating our physical stature. The whole point of being that specific is that words mean different things to everybody. So when one says stature, one may think of how one appears with good posture or or what their stature is um, financially in the world. But when we say physical stature and we say the art of recreating it, means that it's, first of all, never going to be permanent. 
we're already coming from a very compressed stature because we have functioned our entire lives in an uneducated fashion regarding gravity's impact upon us. And therefore, echoing what we discussed in our first, um, our first session, we're all 100%, 100% shaped by gravity. And if we're willing to acknowledge that, then there is a ray of hope that we might conceive of a quality of attention that will uh, invite us to resurrect ourselves under our own guidance without having to buy a single piece of recreate your stature clothing <laughs> or, or <laughs> kind of... Uh, Not putting down uh, the mall of beads and all the rest, but there is... Specialized, a, specialized yeah. footwear to soften the blow. This is just I like Jeff says, putting garlic life. between the toes. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. this, is, uh, this is something that is, is waiting to arrive in everybody. And, um, and, I, and, and, and that's, not, that's not an invitation to a realm of self-improvement. This is really a, uh, a challenge to welcome a condition where we can be fully in charge of the growth of our being. I mean, let's let's go ahead and raise our level of being. What about that? What about uh, cultivating a ray of attention that has an affection with its um, relationship from the mind to the spine? And see if uh, it actually tickles the emotion. Good word, affection. To, 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 uh, to find yourself anchored on your heels with your pelvis slightly forward as your, as your whole upper torso fills with this substance that is issuing from beneath your feet and traveling, streaming through your body and, and gathering in, in the upper body and almost like helium in a way. I can feel it. Create, it's coming through. The sensation of, float, of floating from one moment to the next. Do you not feel, though, that Okay, even though this is easy, as you explain it, do you think that the number one reason for people not to do this is because of their own self-imposed restriction on themselves, their lack of self-love? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I I absolutely uh, know what you're saying. Not not unlike what you referred to in our last conversation. mm -hmm. Um. I think evolution is not for everyone. <laughs> it's certainly available to everyone. But devolution also happens. <laughs> there was an well, interesting seminar I went to recently down in California, and he was talking about in this era, not being in the Piscean era, but the Aquarian age. The transformation of mankind is at a phenomenal pace between not making ourselves into a new version of the old, but a brand new, new humanity. Like, as long as our slate is is riddled in old labels and old projections and old fears and old associations and all the things that we point fingers at either in ourselves or each other, we, we still belong to uh, an era where we're limited completely in possibilities by those beliefs. But the difference between transcendent and transformation 
is the transcendence can, can turn us into new kinds of creatures completely. And I think it's, uh, it's very, very simple, but it's not so simple because it, re- it requires a shift in, well, into a new kind of creature. And uh, well, perhaps with a new kind of brain, you talk about anchoring your structure, but it's also, you know, like the way that we adhere to or relate to, like Einstein says, time. I mean, because we've been trained to be linear-oriented creatures rather than free, free from being time-bound, and we don't really know what it yet feels, looks like, and is to actually get used to living in the moment, you know, not with our head filled with as if worries and projections and that I'm the doer and that I've got to do it and make it right and all the things that we keep busy with. But all that busyness, once you let down the guard, the magic of life starts to take on its own shapes. And the in yoga, the, the, the intelligence of prana or the life, the breath, begins to reshape the very structure of our being. And as you said, it doesn't take long, but it does take pure, affectionate, compassionate attention. And I think that's uh, a beautiful new view and a shift in how we're perceiving some of those old practices that seem to take us like eons of time to get anywhere, like meditating five hours a day, where now it's like, do I carry that all the years of practicing? Does How does it shape my life now in the moments that where I'm not so attached to that old linear mind and the labels either on myself or you and boiled down to love? And uh, there's a new, there's a book out. Do you know who Maria Bello is? Love is Love, the book is called. She's an actress. Yes, we've, we've discussed that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's going to do one of our Shift Happens radio show. But I, I just finished her book. And I guess that I've, I've been carrying on with her conversation about dropping the labels and questioning the labels we, we give ourselves and each other. And... You know, learning to get simple again and just find out the most the raw beauty of life underneath the screen. There's so much. There's there's so much information in in what you say, Tesh. Um, what I've always uh, basked in the joy of what comes out of you because uh, you can you can be nourished on so many different levels. Uh, what what I have found in my own uh, yoga classes over the past 25 years is that less seems to be more mm-hmm. if you're if you're speaking about things like time, for example. Very easy to um, to go on in, in, in all matter of seeming eloquence about time yes. and the time of our lives, etc. But I think one of the wonderful challenges in trying to write about uh, recreating our stature is having to deal with, uh, first and foremost, and this is an answer to, to your other question about self-love, is to acknowledge, to acknowledge, first and foremost, that we are rarely present that we are rarely experiencing our fully realized stature, that we are not in any way 
cognizant of the fact that we're on automatic pilot all the time. So the whole notion of acknowledging this is, uh, it's a, it's curiously a form of self forgiveness. <clears throat> yes. And as, as soon as that impulse lands in the heart place, it's immediately, um, transformed into an impulse of self-love that is genuine, that has nothing to do with anything outside of yourself. Yes, you don't need to be cognitive of anything. You already feel it. And and you feel it when? You feel it right then, in that moment, in the present, when curiously, time has stopped. You You can't have this experience in the past or in the future. And that's what's so fleeting that moment of bliss that was pure, that just passed, and then what we do with it, we put it somewhere into our logic system. Or label it, like you said. Yeah. But, but, but you know, let's just say um, good riddance to labeling. <laughs> let's say good riddance to any kind of term that distracts us from the actual possibility of being present to the sensation of uh, the breath flowing in and out of the nose while you're, you're anchored on your heels, experiencing poise streaming up through your body. I mean, I keep, I keep repeating it because it's necessary to repeat, repeat, repeat until we're so filled with it to the point of no return that our emanation alone acts as our own guide toward... Uh, Toward our final, our final, and hopefully glorious breath, decades from now, but with a life that has been dedicated and devoted and disciplined by the wish to be present. Do you believe that our lives, and and that only happens in the vessel, as we said last time. It doesn't happen in the cloud. It doesn't happen in the bank account. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen in the Maserati. It happens only within. The bone structure, the muscle structure, and the skin structure. Would you say that that's why the people that you were describing at the beginning of all of this, would you say that that is why they are so at peace and why they are so happy? Well, I I can't say that they're always so happy. Yeah. But but I can say that at the moment we were all together uh, performing this same very simple ritual of attempting to experience our stature, there was no longer the preoccupation of their misfortune. Mm-hmm. There was no longer the discomfort of the limitations of their uh, leprosy-ridden bodies. They were instantaneously filled with a new experience of themselves in the present with, with nothing encroaching on the joy of being poised. I mean, it's the only thing that I can say. And when the listeners scratch their head and say, why did you keep saying that? What does that mean, being poised? Hmm. It, it means somehow finding a way to place yourself in gravity in a way so that there's no muscular tension whatsoever in the upper body, which means that you need to make a modification this this the whole notion of proprioception the placement of the various parts of the body is um 
it's an active study. It's an active science. It's an act of being conscious to how you are physically inside of gravity, which is pulling us all down. So to even take these leopards who didn't speak a word of English, watching me demonstrate, listening to somebody translate what I was uttering about my own experience at that moment, hmm. and witnessing all of them finding exactly the precise groove that I was describing was extraordinary. It, what it confirmed is that this is already in everybody, <laughs> you know? Yes. They weren't getting it from me. There were no heroics here. Let's well, be clear about that. Well, thank you I, for sharing your gifts. The, I, the, sim- I simply I refer to all of it as reflection. In the book, it's reflection number one. It's not chapter number one, you know? Yeah. This is... This is not. This is not. Uh, you know. This is not to be memorized. This is to be um, reflected upon and and see if it strikes you. And if it strikes you, and you try it, you are instantaneously your own authority. And you know, I'd be happy to come around seasonally as a, as a reminding factor. But uh, it's clearly already in everybody. It sounds like a really good idea. You know, uh, this morning. Jeff and Tesh and I were having this conversation because we all woke up feeling sort of the the collective angst and asking ourselves if we could do a show that would help us and other people return to that source where you you could uh, feel like the future was positive and there was a point in moving forward. And um, you answered the question. It's uh, very possible. You know, I'm so touched again by by what you say in the tone of your voice and your demeanor, I can feel so clearly where your heart is. And similarly with you, Jeff, I, I so can't wait to come there and, and stand with you guys and, and do our own little sessions so that you all can be confirmed messengers of, of what arises in your own natures. Already have, uh, I'm sure, a captive audience of people interested in these things. And it's not taught anywhere. Curiously, it can't really be taught. No, it can't be taught. It can only be reflected upon you, and and if it strikes you uh, similarly, your radiance will will dictate your your own path and your own direction. Curiously, the the paths are very similar. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so yeah. uh, what a, what what a wonderful thing for the civilization to look forward to. Yes, it's, it's, it's the end of war. It's the end of anxiety. That's right. It's the end of angst. Yeah, it's an invitation to the present with a portion of every breath, and it's, and it's here. And it's not BS, and it's not for sale, and it's not um, it's a, a commodity. It's a way of being, and um, athletic in its essence. But you know, if if, if you can. Get out of bed and put your feet on the ground and stand up. You, uh, you, you've passed the audition. Yeah, you're, you're already in. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if we could teach a wheelchair version of it. Right, yes, we can. Me. I wonder if we could teach a wheelchair version of it. We certainly can teach a wheelchair version of it. I'm, you know, uh, one of the reflections is called What is Standing? The one I'm working on right now is called What is Sitting? And, you know... These words just sound so ordinary, but 
what's involved? Mm-hmm. What's involved in sitting? What's involved in being a wheelchair? I mean, these these lepers have sat on the ground their entire lives, and they need their bamboo crutches just to stand. And once they were standing, with their crutches underneath their arms, they were still able to open their arms out to the side, raise them up above their heads, let their knobby palms touch and raise the bones of their face to the sky. I, I can't even begin to tell you. Well, you sure gave us a an incredible sharing and a, and a, a feel and a, and a sight. My heart is so uh, opened from speaking with you today, Gary. Thank you so much. And uh, the hour is closing. And uh, love you like crazy. Talk to you again soon. Same to all of you. Speak with you soon. Be well. Thanks you very too. much, Gary. We're yes. going to have you back on real soon, okay? Look forward to If that. you're open Thank to you. it. Uh, I'm beyond, beyond open. This is, uh, this, is, um, this is so wonderful that you guys have this forum. And we had, life is flying by. And it, um, We had 245,000 hits on our website last month. So we Bravo. have listeners. Bravo. Okay. Well, here, here, here we all come. <laughs> there you go. Well, hopefully we'll meet soon. Look forward to it. Thanks, Gary. on all of you. Speak you too. You soon, Tesh. Okay. We love you, man. Love you too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.